Today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What a wonderful, beautiful day to be a citizen of the kingdom of our Lord. It's great to be with you this morning. It's good to have visitors with us this morning. Good to have our members here. We have lots of us, lots of our members that are away for various things, but it's always so encouraging to be able to look out and, and see smiling and warm faces of our members and our visitors, and we thank you so much for being here this morning. If you'd like to be turning in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be looking at that for the majority of our text this morning. I want to set the stage a little bit by talking about some events that happened in, in the life of Peter. Now, for our Sunday morning Bible students, I beg your forgiveness. Um, some of this you're going to hear is, is repeat from our Bible study last week. But I want to touch on some things that we talked about last week and expand upon a little bit more, and I hope this will be for the edification for us all, about the things that took place in Peter's life and the conclusions that he rightly draws from those things and the admonition and the exhortation that comes to us through Peter's writings. In Matthew chapter 17 and also in Mark chapter 9 and Luke chapter 9, we have recorded for us the transfiguration. When our Lord was transfigured, Matthew's account says that his garments glowed and his face shone like the sun. And this was the time when God would speak from heaven and say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. If we remember the accounts that take place during that, is that our Lord is there, and it's not just him, but remember who appears with him, Elijah and Moses. And there's a conversation that takes place between those three. And Peter, in his, uh, his ultimate uh, character that Peter is, um, he says, Lord, it was good that we are here. Let us build an altar to each one of these, to, to you and to, and to Moses and to Elijah. And we understand, and what Luke says about that is Peter didn't really understand what was going on. But we understand and know and appreciate about Peter's zeal that he wanted to do something because of the events that were taking place. But what's actually happening, what's taking place in all that and what we see and know is that God is telling these men that are with him, Peter, James, and John, and by the gospel writers who all those throughout history, is that there is going to be a change. We're no longer going to be under the law of Moses. We're no longer going to be under the law and the prophets. But there's coming a time when we're going to be under the law of Christ. And that's what those three men were discussing. And that's when God says, speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And so we come to Second Peter... And we see that Peter draws on that event to tell us something about God's Word. If you're there in 2 Peter, look in chapter 1, beginning of verse 16. It says, For we did not cleverly devise tales when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, such as an utterance as this was made to Him, by the, majest, uh, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. 
And so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no scripture, no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So Peter draws on the accounts that happened there on the Mount of Transfiguration to make it clear that it is God's word that he delivers to his children. So as we consider the things this morning, let's consider the fact that Scripture is not a matter of one's own interpretation. Now that tells us a lot about Scripture, doesn't it? It tells us that it's not up to, to me or to you to add to or to take away or to malign or to twist or to pervert the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not up to man. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's not up to man's interpretation to tell us what the word of God is. God has told us what his word is. So it's not a, one, a matter of one's own interpretation, but it's men moved by the Holy Spirit. Seem to be having battery issues this morning. Not a, a matter of one's own interpretation, but men moved by the Holy Spirit. So as you go through this passage here, in 2 Peter 1, beginning of verse 16, Peter tells us some things. He tells us that the, what he is telling to his audience, his immediate audience, and to us through the ages, is that these are not cleverly devised tales. These are not things that men have just come up with on their own. Particularly what he's talking about in this, in this context, this, the events that happened on that mountain, men didn't come up with that. That happened. And it happened according to the will of God. Not just some cleverly devised tale of men, not some fictional writing, but actual events that took place. Peter also tells his audience that we were eyewitnesses. Peter and James and John, they were there. They saw the things that took place. They saw it with their own eyes. In the court of law, we know how important it is to have an eyewitness. There's a lot of weight given to an eyewitness. And Peter is telling these Christians, we saw this happen. He tells them that God himself told us to listen to Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased Listen to him. So now Peter is saying, look, this is, we saw it, and this is what God said, and now we're going to tell you. So you, in turn, listen to us. Listen to what we have to say. These aren't clever, these aren't tales from men. This is what God has told us to tell you. And what these are not, these are not men that haven't been guided by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has guided the ones who have given us the word of God to give us the word of God. The men who are not guided by the Holy Spirit, we give no credence to them 
when it comes to delivering the word of God. Only through men moved by the Holy Spirit. That's how we get the word of God. So with all that in mind, I want us to reflect on a few things and think about a few things about God's word. First, let's understand that God decides how his word is going to be delivered. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we have this familiar passage to us. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom we also made the world. The Hebrew writer is telling us in the old days, he spoke to the prophets in many different ways. He spoke through angels. He spoke through clouds of smoke. He, he spoke from a voice from heaven. Many portions, many ways. This is the way God spoke to the, pro, to the fathers, to, the, to the, uh, the patriarchs. That's the word I'm looking for. And to Moses, as he's given the law of uh, the old law, that's how that was delivered. Well, what is he saying about these days? These last days he's spoken to us in his son. So if we want to know what the word of God is from these last days, we have to look to Jesus Christ. Because that's who has spoken to us. God through his son, Jesus Christ. So when we look for authority, we look to Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus says as he's commissioning his disciples there at the end of Matthew. All authority has been given to me on, in heaven and on earth. And when he speaks, he speaks from authority. And that goes back to the events that we talked about a minute ago. In the transfiguration, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, For this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Now he's coming out of the end of chapter 1 and talking about angels and what angels do. And he says there at the end of, ch of chapter 1, it says, Our Angels are ministering spirits sent out to render service to those who would inherit salvation. So now he picks up in chapter 2 and says, For this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken to the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. Does that sound familiar? Spoken by Jesus, confirmed by those who heard, like Peter and John and James. God testifying with them both by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. God decides how his word is going to be distributed. And God chose that these signs and wonders and miracles would accompany the gospel going out so that it would confirm what these men were saying. The miraculous abilities that they had confirmed that they indeed were delivering the word of God. And that's how God chose to do it according to his own will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11, it says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. In the context here, Paul is talking about the spiritual gifts that these at Corinth were using and utilizing. And he's correcting them and telling them the proper way in which to use these spiritual gifts, but he reminds them that it's as God wills that these are to be used. God decides how his word is going to go forth. 
And in deciding how his word is going to go forth, he also decides what is going to be said. Look with me at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We know the events that are surrounding what's taking place here. Um, the day of Pentecost. The, the disciples, the apostles are together and they're, our Lord is with them for the very last time. He's about to ascend into heaven. It says there in verse 6, And when they had heard, uh, and when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are to restore the kingdom to Israel? We talk about this a lot. Remember what the apostles were trying to, trying to decipher here. Jesus has come and says that, that the, Lord, the, the kingdom is going to be restored. And they were looking for that earthly kingdom. But we know shortly after this, they're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that's going to lead them into all truth. That's going to open their eyes to understand it's a spiritual kingdom that's being talked about. So they asked there, verse 6, Lord, is it this time you are restoring the kingdom? Look what he says in verse 7. It is not for you to know the times or epochs in which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the world. It's not for you to know what God doesn't want you to know. You've been charged to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's not for you to know the times and the epics. Only God himself knows that. So God determines what is going to be said. Look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. <clears throat> beginning of verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning of verse 1. This might sound familiar. Now as for the times and epics... Brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Here it is again. Men, is, and we understand that. We want to know when, don't we? We want to know when. Wouldn't we all like to know when Jesus is going to return? Paul is writing to these Thessalonians. He says, Now, as for the times and epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like the birth pangs of a woman with child. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you all are sons of light of the day. We are not sons of the darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Here's what God has told us about the coming of the Lord. No one knows when that day is going to be. He has decided what he's going to say about the coming of the Lord, and he's, he's said a lot about it. There's going to be judgment. For some, there's going to be, that's a great day. We sing that song, there's a great day coming. For those who are in the body of the Lord, those who are faithful members of the kingdom, that's a great day. Those who are outside of that kingdom, that's a terrible day. God has told us a lot about that. But what he hasn't told us is when that day is going to be. But the message that Paul is trying to get to these Thessalonians is, you need to be ready. And the message that goes throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament is, the Lord is coming back, you need to be ready. When is that day? That's not for you to know. God has determined what he's going to say about it, and he has not told us when that day is going to be. But we know it's out there. 
Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, and as I say often, that list is growing. But I do like this as Paul is laying out the argument about what God has chosen to do. He says here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning verse 18, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved by it, it is the power of God. The same word that's, being, that's going out about a man being put to death on a cross and then being raised from the dead and ascending into heaven, to some people that's foolishness. But to other people, it's salvation. Same word, same message. But God has determined that's the, what's going to be said about his son. Verse 19, for it is written, if I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. To some of the world, this message that, that the apostles were preaching is foolishness. But that's the way God chose to do it. That's the message that God chose to send out into the world. He chose how he was going to do it, and he chose the words that were going to go forth. So understanding that, it's important to understand that man has no say in the matter. Yes, men have been inspired to write these words, but they're being guided by the Holy Spirit to write the things that the Holy Spirit, that God wants to be written. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 20, Paul says, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? He's talking about the, 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 the potter, remember? clay and the potter, who is it, how, how can you, the, the one created, say to the creator, why did you make me this way? It's not for you to ask. Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? We don't get to say, why did God do it this way? He did it that way because he's God Almighty, and he chose the way that it was going to be done. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, says, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one uh, of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. We use that, this scripture quite a bit, don't we? Do not exceed what is written. It's not for us to go beyond God's word. There are commentaries, there are books, there are endless writings about God's word. The fact of the matter, and those things are helpful. I had a discussion with my good friends Bob and Renee about this last night. These apps that you can have on your phone and all the access you have to versions and translations and commentaries, what a wonderful thing that you can sit and read and, 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 and meditate on God's word. But at the end of the day, you've got to come back to this, don't you? At the end of the day, this is what will judge us in the end. Not commentary, not what I say, but what God has said. Don't exceed what is written. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 4, 
Paul says this, rather let God be found true and every man be a liar. Give a lot of thought to that little, little, little passage right there. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm a liar? I'm an, I'm an every man. What does it mean? It means that the truth lies in God Almighty. If my words are in accordance with Scripture, if my words are in accordance with God's will, and the gospel, and the things that, that, that through um, the commission that I have been, have been brought down to me to go into the world and preach and teach and pass these on to, to faithful men, if I'm holding true to that, I'm not a liar. But the minute I step outside of that, I am a liar. There's no gray area when it comes to this. And that's the point that Paul is making. God is truth. God's word is truth. Here is the truth. Everything outside of that is a liar. So if I want to be in accordance with God's will, if I don't want to be called a liar, I've got to be in that truth. And brethren, that is my goal. That is my desire. I never wish to tell you anything that's outside of God's word. And you'll be a brother to me or a sister to me. If you tell me if I've stepped out of line, I'm not above reproach by any means. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 4. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning verse 7. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Here's, a, here's some overtures about we're in the last days, right? God has raised his son from the dead. The message of the gospel has gone out. You've got to conform your life to the gospel. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober of spirit and purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love, love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one's received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Look what he says in verse 11. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Who serves, he who serves, let him do so as the strength of which God supplies. And in all things, God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to him who belongs to glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That verse 11 is important in our context. In the, in the overall context, he's talking about the things that you do, the things that you engage in, they need to be in accordance with God's will. If you have a special gift, which these at this time still had, which we don't deal with anymore, use it to glorify God and use it to serve others. Be hospitable. Practice the things that you have been told to practice. Love one another. In verse 11, whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Some translations say the oracles of God. What is that telling us? It's telling us that if a man gets up to speak and, and, and to preach or to teach, he needs to be speaking from God's word. Not his own interpretation. Not his think-sos, although you know, there's some things that we have opinions about and we need to have clear lines in the sand that are drawn about that. Things like head covering and the holy kiss and those kind of things that, that come up in the Lord's body. 
When it comes to matters of faith, when it comes to matters of doctrine, we need to be speaking as the oracles of God, the utterances of God. That keeps us in line, doesn't it? Make sure that we are indeed in that truth and not relying on our own commentary, not relying on our own interpretation. So having said those things, let's not quibble over words. Go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, there it is. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 11. It says, The words of the wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. What does that mean? It means the words of God are like goads. What is what, you remember what a goad does? A goad is how you get an ox to move in the direction you want him to move. That's what a goad is. The word of God is, like, is, is a goad. It should, it should point you in the right direction. What are well-driven nails? What do well-driven nails do? If you have a, a carpenter or a builder to build you a house, do you want uh, so-so-driven nails or do you want well-driven nails? probably want well-driven nails, don't you? You want your house to hold up. It holds together. The Word of God, if you, if you, in its completeness, holds together. And it points you in the right direction. That's what the Word of God does. Look at verse 12. But beyond this, my son be warned, the writing of many books is endless and the excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. We mentioned commentaries, books written about God's word. It's all well and good, but be careful. Be forewarned that it's wearying to the body. What's not wearying to the body? God's word. It's the goads. It's the well-driven nails. It holds you together. Anything outside of that can be wearying to the body. So let's not quibble over those words that are outside of God's word. Make sure that we are holding fast to the word of God and holding to truth. Go with me back over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. There's danger in, in quibbling about words. 1 Timothy 6 beginning in verse 3, it says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness... He has conceded and understands nothing. He has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words over which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Let's not quibble over words. God's word is right here in front of us. There's no reason to quibble over that. There's no reason to argue about it. Because look what it leads to. Abusive language, evil suspicions, constant friction. Brethren, let's agree on God's word. Let's agree what it has to say. And let's not step outside of that. As we draw to a close, let's look in Romans chapter 14. In Romans chapter 14, Paul is dealing with some of, the, some of these kind of issues. 
He's dealing with those who have restrictions in their diet, self-imposed restrictions in their diet, and those who want to hold certain days over other days. And he's given instruction on that. Verse 10, it says, But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before judgment seat of God. The message here is why, as long as it's not conflicting with God's word, if you're not sinning in the foods that you eat and the days that you observe, it's fine. But there were some who were trying to judge that and judge their brethren because of, on those grounds. And Paul's saying, why are you doing that? Remember, you've got to stand before God and give an account for these things that you're doing. Verse 11, it is written, All uh, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then let each one of us uh, shall give an account for himself to God. Verse 13, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Let's not quibble over words, brethren. Let's not put stumbling blocks in each other's way. Because what's the thrust of this? Look in verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see the point that Paul is driving at here? It's not about eating and drinking. It's not about food. It's not about filling the belly. It's about filling the heart and the mind with the word of God. It's not eating and drinking, it's what? It's righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Let's get our priorities in order. That's what it's about. That's the kingdom of God. Not what we put in our bellies, what we put in our hearts and what we put in our minds. James chapter 2, verse 12. James says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. That ought to be a sobering statement to us. Because what it says is, you need to say and do, understanding that you're going to be judged by what you say and do. That's what God has told us. That's what we just read there in Romans 14. That we're going to stand, each one of us is going to stand and be judged by God, our Creator. So we ought to speak, we ought to act with that in mind. So when it comes to God's word, we know it's authoritative. We know it's complete and it's perfect. And it's not for us to interpret it, to add our own spin on it, to kind of dance around the margins or use it in, in, to, to further our cause rather than furthering the cause of God. So speak and so act. This is the word of God. It's complete. It's lacking in nothing. It's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Let's treat it as such. Give it the reverence it so deserves. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to become one. To come into the kingdom where the blessings are. If as a child of God you have strayed and you're not giving the proper reverence to God's will as you should, I encourage you to make that right. Devin, what song number was it? 
284. If you're not a child of God and if you need the prayers of the congregation, I would encourage you to make that right while today is still God today. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.